We're going to be reading Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 31. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. 
When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I will never be a Christian. That is what I used to utter again and again. By the time I hit uh, the University of Newcastle, by that age, I was really anti-Christian. In fact, I remember when on my first day of uni, we're in the lecture theatre and two Christian students got up the front of our orientation. They invited us to some uh, lunchtime groups where you could investigate Jesus more. And I remember thinking, what losers? I will never be a Christian. I thought Christianity was a load of rubbish. Just people, these fairy tales that people believed in to make themselves feel better about themselves. Now, maybe you're joining us today and you wouldn't consider yourself to be a Christian and you would say a similar thing, I will never be a Christian. Or maybe you are a Christian, but you can think of that person in your life who is against Jesus, against Christianity, and just from any worldly point of view, you think there is no way that they would become a Christian. Well, friends, so far in Acts, Luke has been telling the story about how God's kingdom grew. As the gospel was proclaimed first in Jerusalem, and then it went to Judea, and in the last chapter that we saw last week, it went to Samaria as well. And now in chapter 9, What we're going to dig into now, we're going to see this bloke named Saul who has been in the background throughout the last couple of chapters, but now he comes to the forefront. And he is someone who never thought he would be a Christian. And Christians never thought he would become a Christian. And this bloke, he goes from being arguably Christianity's greatest adversary to being one of Christianity's greatest ambassadors. Have a look at Saul's story in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here's Saul. He's in Jerusalem. He's this devout Jew who really follows the law. And here he is threatening Christians with murder. And I love the language there. He's, he's breathing out murderous threats. And then he goes to the high priest to get signed off on this mission to trek from Jerusalem to Damascus, 300 kilometers by foot. So he can sniff out Christians up in that city and bring them back and throw them in prison. And this isn't out of character for Saul. In chapter 7, he was there at Stephen's stoning approving of his killing. In chapter 8, he was going from house to house looking to destroy the church. And you've got to understand, Paul, he's not just some loose unit on a vendetta. He is a devout Jew who stands against everything that Christianity stands for. And he's so devout that he's made it his mission to silence Christianity, to persecute the church. Paul himself in Acts 26 said, Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. 
and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. You can imagine every step of this 300-kilometer journey from Jerusalem to Damascus. I hate them. I hate them. I'm going to get them. He's obsessed with hunting Christians down. If you were to ever think of someone who was unsavable, this bloke Saul would be your guy, right? But look at what happens in verse 3. Saul is on his way to, on the road to Damascus, to the synagogue there to hunt down Christians, and then all of a sudden there is this light that comes from heaven all around him. In Acts 26, he says it's brighter than the sun. And in verse 4, he falls to the ground and he hears a voice speak to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul asks, who are you, Lord? Now, the word Lord there can simply be used to refer to someone important. It's not necessarily a word to speak of God. So it's a bit ambiguous as to whether Saul knows who this is or not. But if you know your Old Testament, then you remember guys like Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel, they fall to the ground when they've been confronted by God himself. And so perhaps Saul is thinking that this is God. But then imagine how he must have felt when he got this response. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In verses 6 to 9, his mates then who are, are speechless then have to lead him by hand into the city because Saul's now physically blind from his encounter with Jesus. And in verse 9, Luke says, For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In verse 10, we see he was praying. Can you imagine how Saul would have felt over these days? His whole world must have come crashing down at that point as he was confronted by Jesus. I mean, this guy, he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jew of Jews, and he'd spent his whole life doing what he thought was right. He thought the right thing to do was to follow the Lord, to try and be a good person, to live for God. And then when the Christians, they, these filthy Christians, pop up on the scene preaching, actually saw your whole worldview, it's a bit out of whack, everything you've lived for, you've got it wrong. In response to them, he rages against them. But then here on the road to Damascus, he's confronted by the risen Jesus. And he has to admit he was wrong. Jesus is alive. Can you imagine how unsettling that would have been? Coming to the realisation that the God I thought I was following, I've actually been rebelling against, I've been his enemy this whole time. Reflecting on his conversion, Paul himself says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. 
Paul's conversion here serves as an example for those who would believe. If God can save Saul, the worst of sinners, then God's grace, his unlimited patience, is absolutely unstoppable. God can save anyone he chooses to. But Saul's conversion, it also serves as an example to us to show us that no one is good enough for God. No one has lived a righteous life. We've all been wrong and we've all acted as God's enemies in rebellion against him. And becoming a Christian is coming to that unsettling, humiliating realisation that I am a sinner in need of God's absolute grace to remove my spiritual blindness, to make me right with God through his death at the cross and to remove my spiritual blindness so I can see Jesus for who he really is as my Lord. And that is exactly what is happening for Saul here. And in verses 10, Jesus asks this other bloke named Ananias. There's a few Ananiases in the Bible. This, this Ananias is a good one. But Jesus asked this bloke Ananias to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street to find Saul who was praying. Now, just as an aside, you can go to Straight Street uh, today in Damascus. And I think Luke, he just always does this. He always gives details in his story to anchor these stories in real history. But anyway, he tells Ananias to go. And in verse 13, Ananias says, says to Jesus, Lord, you know this is Saul the psycho we're talking about here, right? And Jesus goes, yep, and tells him to go anyway. And then listen to this from verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. How amazing is God's grace here in Saul's salvation? A man who was once God's greatest enemy, Ananias, can come to and refer to him as brother. He's now part of God's family as his physical and spiritual sight is restored to see Jesus clearly for who he is, the risen Lord. And yet God's grace continues. It doesn't just stop with Saul's salvation. By God's grace, he he then goes on to choose to use Saul to be part of his story. So back in verse 15, as Jesus was explaining to Ananias how he was going to use Saul, he says, Saul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will also show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so by God's grace, Jesus chooses and calls Saul to be part of his story, to proclaim his name and to suffer for his name. And then in verse 19 to 20, the bloke who was originally heading to the synagogue in Damascus to silence the Christians now rocks up at that same synagogue proclaiming, I was wrong. Jesus is the Son of God. And empowered by the Spirit, he proves how he had it wrong and that Jesus is actually the Messiah. And then in verse 23, he suffers 
So he's proclaimed and then he suffers for proclaiming Jesus' name as he's persecuted by the Jews and then he moves on from Damascus. And then in verse 26 to 30, he goes to Jerusalem and the cycle continues. He speaks boldly in the name of the Lord. He proclaims his name and then he suffers for his name as the Jews there also try and kill him. And so then he moves on as well. And as you read the rest of Acts, this cycle continues. Saul becomes Paul to signify his transformation and he takes the gospel to the Gentiles, proclaiming Jesus' name and suffering for Jesus' name. The the once silencer of the gospel becomes one of its greatest preachers the world has ever seen. The persecutor is now persecuted for the sake of Jesus' name. But Acts chapter 9 isn't a story primarily about Saul. In chapter 9, the two big themes that we've been talking about in Acts through this section actually come colliding together in Saul's conversion. We've seen throughout the first nine chapters of Acts, one of the big themes of this section has been that God's age of blessing is here. He's pouring out his Holy Spirit. God's kingdom is being established. And yet the other theme we've been saying is that God's people, the Jews, they don't want it. They keep rejecting it. But now in chapter 9, Jesus takes his greatest adversary in Saul, who is a Jew, who is actively rejecting him, and he saves him, turning him into his greatest ambassador by his unstoppable grace. And then look at what Luke says to close this section from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 9, 31. He says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Luke here, he gives this summary statement or, or this concluding sentence that actually highlights and closes off what has been happening from chapters 1 to chapter 9. Luke here highlights that the church throughout the region of Israel, from Judea, the southern kingdom, up to Galilee and Samaria, the northern kingdom, now enjoys a time of peace which is a really unusual way to describe gospel growth. Usually it comes through suffering, but now here the church goes through this time of peace. It's strengthened. They live in the fear of the Lord, which is an Old Testament way of saying the people trusted in God and the church there grows in numbers. God grows his kingdom here. Now, why is all this significant? Well, at the beginning of Acts, when the disciples asked Jesus, When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, not for you to know the times or place, but you're going to be my witnesses. Luke is showing us here in Acts chapter 9 that God is restoring the kingdom to Israel now. All of the Old Testament promises that God made to the nation of Israel are being fulfilled here in Acts chapter 1 to 9. First to the Jew and then the rest of Acts God's going to use this devout Jew in Saul, his greatest adversary, to become a kind of type of suffering servant as he follows Christ's example and he brings the gospel as a light to the Gentiles throughout the rest of Acts. 
Friends, God's grace is unstoppable. Jesus is unstoppable. And all of this shows us that God, he is faithful to his promises and his grace, it is irresistible. When he grips you and chooses you, you just have to go with it. Nothing can stop Jesus from growing his kingdom. And so if you're, if you're joining us and you consider, you're thinking, I will never be a Christian, if that's one of the thoughts that's run through your mind, well, I've been there right with you. God brought me kicking and screaming into, this, into his kingdom. But friends, can I suggest that you humble yourselves and, and just entertain the idea, what if you're wrong? What if Jesus is risen? What if he is our Lord and Savior? Pray that God would remove any spiritual blindness to see Jesus for who he really is. And that can be a really unsettling process. But friends, let me tell you, it is so worth it. Brothers and sisters, it is so easy to think that something like COVID could stop God. When we went into lockdown, I was tempted to think that, you know what, mission's just going to be on pause. And then we ran the life series and God rebuked me and he just saved a bunch of people. It's so easy for us to forget that God's grace, as we look at our friends and family who seem so opposed to the gospel, to think there is no way that they're ever going to be a Christian. It's so easy to doubt the power of God's grace. I remember for years after myself becoming a Christian, um, I was praying loads for my mum and dad who are I think watching this afternoon so if you're watching hi mum and dad and I was praying for them to really understand the grace of God uh, to realize that there was nothing they could do to be made right with God and to understand that they had to humble themselves and depend on Jesus for his salvation and forgiveness through his death in the cross but when I would pray for them in my heart I was often optimistic about mum um, but a little bit more skeptical about dad because I used to have these conversations where I'd be sharing the gospel with with mum and dad but I was really interacting more with mum and dad uh, would just kind of interact a bit less and just listen off in the corner and I thought he was just disengaged from the whole conversation until in 2016 I found out through pastors at uh, a church on the central coast that dad had been going to their life series. And then that year he gave his life to Christ. <laughs> Nothing can stop Jesus in growing his kingdom. And this is why we, we want to keep sharing stories about God's grace at work in, in the hearts and lives of people as he, as he brings people into his kingdom. It's, it's why we want to share stories about Shane and Lucy and Sam and we're going to hear another one from Maddie today. They're so good for us to remember the power of God's grace. And it's why after the formal part of the service today, as we continue to engage in fellowship, I want you guys to be talking about your own testimonies with one another. And reflecting about how God's grace has been at work in your own eyes to encourage each other and to remind ourselves of God's grace. But more than remembering that God's unstoppable grace in salvation, it, it, that it could end there, 
We also want to be a people who have confidence that Jesus is going to use his people to call more people to be part of his story. So God didn't just save Saul and then leave it there. No, he saved him and simultaneously he called him and empowered him through his spirit to be part of his mission. And Saul wasn't the only one in Acts chapter 9 that God uses. Even though Jesus didn't need to, Jesus called Ananias, who was originally pessimistic about Saul, to be the first one who would welcome him into the family. And then in Jerusalem, when the disciples were also pessimistic about Saul becoming a Christian, even though he didn't need to, Jesus used Barnabas to vouch for Saul. And Barnabas, as you, as you trace their relationship through the book of Acts, actually becomes somewhat of a mentor to Paul throughout Acts. And so, friends, in God's sovereignty, Jesus calls all of his people to be part of his story in many ways. Sure, there's some uniqueness to Saul's calling, to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but when Jesus has saved each one of us, he's also called each one of us to be on his mission. And he also empowers each one of us through the power of his Holy Spirit at work in our lives to be part of God's church in proclaiming his name and suffering for his name. So friends, pray expectantly for those who from a worldly point of view you don't think could become a Christian because God's grace is unstoppable. But more than that, look forward over the next year to how God uses Sam and Shane and Maddie and you and me to be part of someone else's story as Jesus uses us in growing his kingdom for the sake of his name. Be prepared to be part of someone's story and look for those opportunities to invite people to hear about Jesus. Let's pray that we would be a people who get this. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, your grace is absolutely amazing. Lord, it floors us to see that in your sovereignty the way that you could change the heart of a man like Saul to take him from being your greatest adversary to being your greatest ambassador, to proclaim and suffer for the sake of your name. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember how Saul's conversion is an example for us, that in becoming a Christian we all need to admit that we have been your enemies, and we do, we repent of that. We're sorry for the way that we've rebelled against you that we've thought that we could live our life doing good things to be made right with you, but we thank you that you've humbled each one of us to know that we are sinners and that we are in need of your grace and your forgiveness and your unlimited patience and mercy to save us. And we praise you for the way that we couldn't resist your grace, that it is unstoppable in our lives and it is unstoppable in growing your kingdom. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to pray expectantly. Help us to repent when we're, we're pessimistic about those in our lives, when we, when we want to doubt that you can save them. Help us to pray expectantly, to be optimistic that you can change people's hearts if you choose to, Lord. Help us to be faithful in praying for our friends. But more than that, 
help us to realize that you will use us, that you use your people, even though you don't need to, you choose by your grace to empower us and call us to proclaim the gospel and to suffer for your name. And so we ask, Lord, that we would be a church who gets that and depends on your grace for that task. And we pray the result would be that you save more and more people, take them from blindness to be able to see that you are the risen Lord. And we pray all of these things in your glorious name. Amen.